Let's play a little game called I Have a Theory. Now I want to preface this by saying I have zero inside information, none. Sure, I work at KWTV News 9 in Oklahoma City, and I get the opportunity to cover the Sooners. But the guy in the News 9 Sports Department with high-level contacts at OU is Dean Blevins, not me. And my upcoming theory is not being formulated by any information I've gotten from Dean. So with that being said, I have a theory. And my theory is that after the Rose Bowl, the Rose Bowl where we saw the OU defense allow 8.3 yards per play to Georgia and more than 9 yards per rush, after the Sooners lost 54-48 to in double overtime, I think there were some serious discussions within the program about the future of the Oklahoma defense. Sure, the day after the Rose Bowl, Lincoln Riley spoke with some of the Sooners' beat reporters and expressed his confidence in Mike Stoops as the defensive coordinator. But even with Riley backing his guy, there were still calls from the fan base to make a change. And this gets me to the meat of my theory. I think a change was considered, but ultimately a change was not made. And I think OU thought about this for nearly two weeks. Why two weeks? Well, I think Twitter told us it was nearly two weeks. Now, I know a lot of you may not be on Twitter, and that's fine. Honestly, I'm not sure if I'd even have a Twitter account if I didn't work in the media. But as most of you know, Twitter has become an incredible tool for football coaches when it comes to promoting their program, and perhaps most importantly, recruiting. Looking back to December the 20th, the first ever early signing day for football, OU released some really cool videos on Twitter welcoming the new recruits to the program. Lincoln Riley has embraced the social media era, and he's been doing some great things in recruiting. I mean, it seems by now that everybody knows his signature eyeballs emoji he tweets out every time a player commits to Oklahoma. Anyways, it's not just Lincoln Riley who's been using Twitter a bunch. All the OU coaches have been using it as well. So when it got to Thursday of last week, January the 11th, and I noticed that Mike Stoops hadn't tweeted anything since December the 20th, I found that to be a bit strange. What made it even more strange was about five days earlier, the OU defense had picked up some nice commitments. Buki Hiles, Nick Benito, Deshaun White. All the OU defensive coaches had, at the very least, retweeted tweets acknowledging these players were selecting Oklahoma. Kerry Cooks, Ruffin McNeil, Tim Kish, Calvin Thibodeau. Yet the Sooners defensive coordinator, Mike Stoops, didn't tweet anything. It's kind of odd, right? Especially considering Stoops had retweeted all the cool commitment videos OU had put out on early signing day. So just to recap, following the Rose Bowl, all the Sooners' defensive assistants were tweeting about the future. But Mike Stoops was not. Why wasn't Stoops tweeting? I think there's two possible answers to that question. The first possibility, Stoops is just not that into social media. Or maybe he was just taking a Twitter break. God knows some of us need those Twitter breaks from time to time. Or the second possibility, Stoops was uncertain about his future at Oklahoma. And he didn't want to put anything out there publicly about future players since he wasn't sure if he'd be around to coach them up. For the record, I think the latter is why Stoops wasn't tweeting. Then came Friday, January 12th, nearly two weeks following the Rose Bowl. And here came a barrage of Mike Stoops' tweets and retweets. The first one, a congratulatory tweet to his nephew, Drake, for committing to Oklahoma. It said, quote, 
Two stoops are always better than one. Very proud of Drake Stoops. Let's go get him. Then later that afternoon, he tweeted out that he was in Tulsa with Bill Biedenboe recruiting. Ever since last Friday, Mike Stoops has retweeted a bunch of tweets about the future of Oklahoma. I think any uncertainty about his future with the program is gone. Mike Stoops will be back this fall for the Sooners, and hopefully he can figure out a way to make the OU defense play much better than it did in 2017. To borrow a line from Mike Stoops, hopefully he can make some plays. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. After a 10-yard gain, Daigie floats it over the middle, intercepted again. Javon Harris, he's going to take it all the way. Touchdown, Oklahoma. Javon Harris welcomes us into this edition of West of Everest. Harris's pick six gave Oklahoma a 38-13 lead over Texas Tech in Lubbock back in 2012. The Sooners would go on to win that game 41-20. to Hello, everyone. Once again, I am Lee Benson, and joining me as always is my brother, Grant. And Grant, I chose that play for the intro because that was the first defensive touchdown scored by the Sooners with Mike Stoops as the defensive coordinator solo. Before he left Norman to coach Arizona, Stoops, of course, was the co-defensive coordinator along with Brent Venables. But when Bob Stoops brought Mike back in 2012, Venables then left for Clemson, which allowed Mike Stoops to become the D.C. at Oklahoma. So Mike Stoops, certainly a topic today on West of Everest. But before we dive into the OU defensive situation, we've got some breaking news here just as we're beginning to record this podcast. OU Athletic Director Joe Castiglione will be one of six new members of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. That's according to Heather Dinich at ESPN. We're recording this on Tuesday evening. So as we bring Grant in today, I got to ask you, Grant, what are your thoughts on this breaking news? Hi, Lee. Um, I I think it's good news, obviously. I, I think we'll take them any way we can get them. Anytime the Sooners have anybody advocating for them on that committee, I think is always a good thing, especially as someone who is respected as Joe Castiglione. I think at one, I think at some point in time, Lee, he he was also the head of the the NCAA tournament March Madness selection committee. So this is something that he's familiar with. Uh, kind of a no brainer, really, if you think about it. So I, I mean, obviously, I think it's 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 great news for OU, or at least if it's not great news, it's at least maybe not earth shattering news, but but it's at least you know not bad news, and and I think we'll take that you know any way we can get it after the Rose Bowl. So I'm looking at the article posted on ESPN.com by Heather Dinich, and if I'm reading this correct, it, it would look it looks like Castiglione will basically be taking over for Kirby Hocutt, and I'm not sure if that means that Castiglione will actually be the the, the committee chair like Hocutt was. Uh, but in the article, it says a new selection committee chair will also be named as Hocutt is rotating off the committee. Typically, the outgoing committee members have been replaced by people who hold similar positions and are from the same region. So Castiglione will be the Big 12's nomination this year. So I guess it doesn't mean that Castiglione will be the committee chair. We're not sure about that. But it looks like instead of having the Texas Tech AD and Hocut, it'll be Castiglione in there, the OU AD, which um, it, to me, it was always kind of bizarre that that Kirby Hocut was on the committee to begin with. Uh, and, and maybe that's not fair, but to me, it was always because Texas Tech never has really been close to the college football playoff. 
So to me, it was kind of bizarre that that he was the not only on the committee, but actually the committee chair for the past couple of years. That was weird to me. Yeah, I thought it was weird too. And he also didn't didn't perform particularly well when they when they threw him out there on a, on a live audience on TV on ESPN. It seemed like he he contradicted himself quite a bit of times. Had trouble answering some questions at times too. So we'll see if Joe Castiglione takes over as as committee chair. I don't know, Lee. I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of those things where they they finally they get the full committee and then they vote on who the chair is going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what it is, which would explain why Kirby Hocutt would be would be the head there, or maybe they try to they try to look for some sort of uh, I don't know moderation or or maybe you know, being in the middle or, or not having any sort of neutrality is the word I'm looking for here, Lee. They're looking for some sort of neutrality. Maybe that's why they were they went they went with Kirby Hocutt. Either way, I I think it's a good thing for OU. Joe Casiglione has proven himself over twenty years to be just a very, very competent executive, very competent athletic director. So I so I think he's gonna do a great job on, on the playoff committee. At the end of this article it says that each committee member serves one three year term. So I didn't know that was the, uh, a rule, so just uh, in case anybody else didn't know that. And uh, you know, one more side note. It might be kind of a fun segment to go back and relive all of the inconsistencies of Kirby Hokut's explanations this past year because I'm sure if we look, look back at our previous podcast throughout the college football playoff selection or after the selection shows, I mean, you and I commented on all of those this past fall, uh, and I know we commented a lot on Kirby Hokut, so it might be interesting to go back and just see where – you or I could have been a lot better at explaining things as opposed to the way he explained some things. I can't think of any specifics right now, but I know there was plenty of them. Uh, and, and I'm sure you 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 remember that there was some uh, inconsistencies, but I'm not sure if you could point to any specific ones right now. Not off the top of my head. Not right now. No, I'm sure I could go and read it and they would all come back to me right away. But specific instances, I can't necessarily think of anything right now other than that. It was obvious that they were cooking the books there at the end, mostly mostly with with Mississippi State and and UCF and, and all of that stuff like there was a what was it the there was a week where where Mississippi State beat uh, I think Arkansas and they jumped like eight spots in the poll and, and UCF played a team that was just as good as Arkansas and they beat them by like 40 and they actually went back or, or they or they, they were jumped by three loss Mississippi State just stuff like that there just wasn't a whole lot of consistency there's giving credit to some teams for one thing uh, like with Clemson, and then refusing to give a team like Oklahoma credit for nearly the exact same thing. It just it was stuff like that, and 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 I, I know it's hard to go out there and and answer all of those questions when they're they're just kind of spitballing and throwing them at you. So maybe they didn't do Kirby Hoke out any favors there, but but I think they can find someone who who is a lot better at representing what they're trying to do on that committee other than Kirby Hoke. I think they they may have made a mistake sending him out there as many times as they did. All right, well, let's move on back to the Oklahoma defense and the fact that uh, you know Mike Stoops has, has been tweeting the last, last few days. And, and let me ask you this, Grant. Do you believe the same thing I believe? Is, is Mike, Stoops sta- Mike Stoops safe? Is he going to be back next year to be the Oklahoma defensive coordinator? Are, are you convinced that we're going to get another year of Mike Stoops? I'm not convinced that we're going to get another year of it, but I think with everything that's happened in the last few days – all the evidence that has been presented to us up to this point. I think right now the safest thing is to assume that he probably will be back. Um, having that been said, I'm not 100%, 100% convinced of it. 
if he is still here the day after signing day, then I will be 100% convinced of it. I think if any changes are going to be made, it'll be directly after signing day. But I think as of right now, the, the smoke there is is maybe not as plentiful as it was a week or two ago. And National Signing Day, obviously we've had, a, we, we've had an early signing day on December the 20th. Uh, the next one, it's always the first Wednesday of February. And so this year it looks like it's going to be February 7th. That's the first Wednesday of February, so that's interesting. Okay, so so you're you're still uh, you know, you still think there might be there there could be something, but uh, as of now, it looks like uh, Stoops will be back. And well, Lee, if you if you go back to go back to the winter of 2015 when Josh Heupel was fired, that was after signing day. So there is there there's there's a precedent for thinking that that it would be maybe after signing day, and it has seemed like pretty much every change with the with maybe the exception of one that we're going to talk about here coming up, it seems like most changes on OU staff usually happen in February after signing day. So that's the only reason why I bring that up. Still, though, I, I do want to, to to hammer it home. I think all evidence right now is is suggesting that Mike Stoops will be back. So I don't want anyone to get their hopes up too much because there's been a lot of that the last two weeks, I think, amongst his fan base. Well, I don't know about that, though, as far as the the – the hypo, I mean, you mentioned the hypo one, if, if that happened. And, and again, I didn't know when that happened, so I didn't know that was after signing day. But going back to 2012, when Mike Stoops was brought back to Oklahoma, that happened in January. And, uh, and, and Brent Venables left for Clemson a week later. So, I mean, that was all obviously before National Signing Day, and that was big-time coordinator stuff. So it wasn't like Mike Stoops – was brought back on to Oklahoma staff after signing day at that point. Um, yeah, but so I, I think I, I think that's 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 probably a little bit different of a situation. I, I I think that's certainly relevant that you brought that up. That's an example of one that didn't happen after signing day. But I do think the the circumstances surrounding that were quite a bit different. Just because remember, I mean, Brent Venables wasn't getting fired at all. Uh, they, they were just bringing on Mike Stoops as an extra member of the staff, and they were going to go back to being co-defensive coordinators. So it, it was it was more of a of a de facto demotion for Brent Venables. He wasn't getting fired at all. He was still going to be in charge of the defense, just as a co-defensive coordinator with Mike Stoops. So I, I it mm-hmm. is a little different in that sense. I, I think it would be it would be a, under much different circumstances this time around. They I don't think they obviously wouldn't bring in a co-defensive coordinator for Mike Stoops. I don't think I. I can't imagine that happening at all so for this discussion um yeah again I mean I I think Stoops will be here I I think he's going to be the guy um I I have a tough time seeing him seeing him uh relieved of his duties even past signing day uh this year just because um uh, who are they going to get now who would they get and and granted you know if, if let's say the defensive coordinator position at Oklahoma was all of a sudden open I'm sure there'd be some some decent candidates that even though they might feel like they're set in their job now that might all of a sudden think oh well that looks like a pretty good job and so they maybe maybe they'd want to go to Oklahoma so I, I I know like saying who who would they get might not be the best the best take just because there could be some some candidates that would want to come to Oklahoma if the job was open but uh, again just based off of the I know this, this might be kind of not the best the best read of it, but I really think the Twitter thing has a lot to do with it. I mean, him, him being kind of silent for so long on Twitter and then all of a sudden just tweeting everything out of nowhere about all these future recruits and all these people. I think that says something. And he was on the recruiting trail with Bill Biedenboe. Um, to me, it, it just it seems like he's 
he's been locked in and, and he's he's still going to be here and he'll get a chance to kind of redeem himself after having a another rough season and another rough go at it this past fall I think that's a completely plausible way to read that scenario I I don't know if I'm 100% ready to get in your camp yet just because there really just has been so much smoke there where it's it's hard to for me it's hard to believe that there was no fire there at all It, it could be exactly how you how you laid it out Lee how you know they were they were under the gun for two weeks and they were really thinking about making a change and that's where the that's where the you know the smoke came from but we'll see. Like I said, I, I'm going to formulate my final opinions after signing day. We'll see what happens. I, I think we're still in a, in a holding pattern until then. But but like I said, I, I think it's a very plausible way to read that situation that you have. And I think all evidence that we have right now probably points points that way. I, I'd say I, I'd say right now I'm, I'm about at 90% that Mike Stoops will be back for 2018. All right. Well, I... Continuing on this discussion, I thought it'd be interesting to look back at some of the the numbers, uh, not just recently re- revolving around the Oklahoma defense, but ever since Bob Stoops took over the program back in 99. And I looked up all the numbers. I looked up total defense, scoring defense, and then my favorite stat that I'm really into this year, yards per play. And I found a shocking stat that I, I did not anticipate going back. And I'll throw that out there right now and see what you think so Mike Stoops came back on to came back into the fold in 2012 everyone knows that Brent Venables left in 2012 Oklahoma's defense was not very good it it was even it was even worse than Brent Venables last year in 2011 that year Oklahoma allowed 5.7 yards per play and the year prior in 2011, the Sooners allowed 5.1 yards per play, so more than a half yard difference. So 2012, not great. In 2013, on a yards per play basis, Oklahoma's defense improved 5.3 yards per play. 2014, it improved again 5.1 yards per play. And then 2015, the year Oklahoma made the college football playoff, everyone remembers that as a pretty good defense, 4.8 yards per play. So Back-to-back-to-back years after Stoops came back, on a yards-per-play basis, Grant, that defense actually improved every single year, and I I was shocked to see that number. Were, were you surprised to see that as well? Let's 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 go back to that one more time. Can, can you say that one more time? I'm, I'm not really following what you're saying. So on a yards-per-play basis, from 2012 to 2015, Oklahoma's defense— It got defense, better every year. It got better every single year. Sure, on a per- sure, mm-hmm. but also in, in those so in those three years in 2012, 2013, and 2014, the defense was. Well, I suppose you can take away 2014, but in 12 and 13, by a yards per play metric, the defense was was worse than Venables' last defense at OU. Correct. Yes, it was. Yes. And so, yes, it was. And so I, I think I, I think yards per play is probably the best metric that we can use that year because the other metrics you have here, total D and scoring D, I think scoring D is, is a lot more important than total D. I think total D is almost completely useless in this day and age. But but yards per play obviously is not. Yards per play is, is, is very relevant. And, and I'm seeing here the Sooners in 2011, Lee, that's Venables' last year, gave up 5.1 yards per play. The, the first two years under under Mike Stoops, 5.7 and 5.3 yards per play, and then back down to 5.1 again in 2014. So 
I, yeah, an interesting way of looking at it. And you and I like to look at different metrics and everything. And I, I mean, I'm when I look at, at everything, I, I just I don't see any sort of statistical evidence to suggest that Mike Stoops has been a has his his second tenure here has worked out as defensive coordinator. I, I think he's I, I think, you know, the the conclusion I'm drawing from looking at the numbers that I have that his his second tenure at Norman has been has been a borderline failure. Yeah, and and I wasn't I wasn't trying to really defend Mike Stoops. I just thought it was surprising because honestly, I thought really every year except for that 2015 season when Oklahoma's defense was pretty good. I thought all the other years it was pretty bad, and I was surprised to see that the yards per play actually improved three straight seasons. Um, but I guess if you want to look at it kind of like glass half empty. It took two full seasons, actually a third season, for them to actually get back to the yards per play number that Brent Venables had in his final year at OU. So um, I, I think that's kind of the point you were trying to make a little bit, too. But, I mean, uh, pretty impressive in 2015. Oklahoma only allowed 4.8 yards per play. I mean, that under five yards per play this day and age is pretty, pretty darn good. And uh, that was the first time Oklahoma had been under five yards per play since that that awesome defense Oklahoma had back in 2009. And so I, I do want to add a little context to this too. And that 2015 defense was a really solid defense. I mean, that's, I, I think that's pretty obviously the best defense that Mike Stoops has had uh, since he's been back. But Lee, I, I just, you got to throw a little cold water on it because if you remember their last three games of the season against the three other best teams in the big 12, they faced three straight backup quarterbacks. So, I, I mean, that had a lot to do with it, I think. And, and that was 2015 was just a down year for the Big 12 overall. I, I think they really, really benefited from, one, playing all of those backup quarterbacks, and two, uh, being in a down year for the Big 12. It, it, it really was. It, it was a year where th- this year, 2017, w- was was a pretty successful year for the Big 12. A lot of the guys on those on these 2017 teams were freshmen and sophomores in 2015, and, and that's where you get a down year in the conference. So I, I mean, I, I I think we have to look at, at some of these with, with context, Lee. And you you see last year, 2016, when they had a lot of guys returning on that defense actually, and the the defense just got considerably worse for, from the year before. So I it's I think it's hard to explain that. Well, looking back since 1999 to 2017, I got to tell you, Grant, it makes me really wish in hindsight that Brent Venables would have decided to stay at Oklahoma to coach along with Mike Stoops in 2012 and beyond. Because from 99 to 2003, when those two were co-defensive coordinators, Oklahoma's defense was so good, man. I mean, four out of the five years, it was a top 10 defense. And not just a top ten defense. Sometimes I mean, like an elite. I mean, two of the five, two of the five years, a top five defense, and I mean, consistently, you know, four point one. I mean, yards per play, four point nine, four point one, three point eight, four point four, four point one yards per play, allowing uh, points wise, basically about two touchdowns a game. I mean, just amazing elite defenses. And then Stoops went to Arizona, and the defense stayed pretty good under just straight Brent Venables. But then kind of as the years kind of went on, it started to deteriorate slightly and slightly. And the Big 12 started getting better. The offenses started getting better. 
And then 2009, after that 2008 season when the defense statistically really wasn't all that great, and they went to the national title game and lost to Florida, they bounced back significantly in 2009, had, had the best defense they've had since the 2003. But then following 2009, 2010, 2011, back to kind of, eh, this is not this is not up to the to the standard of Oklahoma, and then that's when Venables left, and then obviously with Bob uh, not Bob when Mike Stoops has been here, it really hasn't it hasn't returned to that that elite standard that Oklahoma got to in the first five years of the Bob Stoops era. Yeah, Lee, and I, I I'm looking at these numbers that you're providing here, and, and I see a very just clear line of where spread offenses entered the equation, and, and you you talk about how how you wish that Venables would have stayed on with Stoops. And, and I, don't, I don't think we can draw that conclusion based off of what's happened in college football since then. Lee, and it, from 99 to 2003, the offenses they were facing were, were I-formation pro-style. I mean, let's, they were really easy offenses to defend. And, and I, I don't really think they had to do a whole lot of creative things to scheme for those. You start to see as the, as the, years, goes on, as the years go on, and Leah, I, I mean, I'm looking at these numbers from Venables, especially his last four years. I, I wanted to add this, and, and and this was this was before I really got into to analytics with stuff like that. And I think, just based off hindsight, I, I don't think you can draw any other conclusion except for when when OU de facto moved on from Brent Venables in 2011 after the 2011 season. Lee, in hindsight, I I, I think. I think it's pretty easy to say that that was a big mistake as of now, um, just because I, I I don't think that was in an era where a lot of people knew how to judge these offenses and, and who you're going up against. And so I, the S&P, guys, the, the metric that I really like to use, it's a metric I like because it's an efficiency metric and it's it's opponent adjusted, so it, it takes into account teams. If, you know, if, you're, if you're playing cupcakes, it takes all that into account. And and that was around back in back in that day and age, and you know, 08 through 011, But it just wasn't really well known. They do have stats going back all those years, and I did just want to bring this up, Lee. Venables is la- or uh, his his defenses the last couple years at OU were were much maligned. A lot of people weren't particularly happy with his with his defenses at OU. And I I do just want to bring this up. His last four defenses at OU, Lee per S&P on defense. Here they are. In 2008, you had mentioned that OU's 2008 defense, the one where they lost the national title, statistically wasn't that great. And you're right. From the raw numbers, they weren't that great. They were 11th in S&P defense, though. And I've, I've mentioned this a couple times. Here's why. It's because they were an elite pass rushing and run defense team, and they also forced a lot of turnovers. So the defense got off the field a lot that year because they, they were able to rush the passer. They were able to stop the run. And they forced a lot of turnovers, and that all equaled out to be the being the eleventh best defense in two thousand eight. You mentioned that two thousand nine defense; they were third in S and P defense that year. I think that's one of the more underrated defenses in the last twenty years at OU. I'd put that right up there with the two thousand one defense, the two thousand three defense. That defense was awesome. Uh, he a lot of people forget about that defense. Uh, Sooners again, Lee were eleventh in two thousand and ten. They were twelve and two that year. Won the Fiesta Bowl. And in the last season of, of Brent Venables in 2011, they were 10th in S&P defense. So I, going back there, I mean, the, the worst defense he had in that was, was 11th. And then I now bring it up, Mike Stoops, his last four defenses at OU, Lee, 25th in 2014, 22nd in 2015, and here's where it falls off the cliff. 
55th last year and 101st this past season. Completely unacceptable. And so you're thinking, oh, well, maybe Venables hasn't been as good per S&P when he's gone to Clemson. Here's his last four at Clemson, Lee. First, sixth, sixth, and second. I, I, it, it was a mistake moving on from Brent Venables. And, and I'm, I, I, I would own up. I'm, I'm going to own up to that 100%. Because back in 2011, or 2012, actually, when they, made, when they made the change, I was a proponent of it. I thought they needed to make a change. If I would have known the context, if I would have known all of this information then... I would have been uh, completely against making a change at, at uh, on defense. I, I I don't think there's any other way you can look at it right now, other than retrospectively saying that it was a mistake to bring on Mike Stoops. Well, here's here's my my pushback of, uh, and uh, obviously Clemson's defense has been great since Brent Venables took over. I you know I'm just gonna say it. I don't think the S and P is that that good of a metric, Grant. I don't think it it's a good ring. And, and here's a here's one of my examples. That 2012 defense from Oklahoma, the first year Mike Stoops came back, and uh, you know it's widely known as I mean until the past couple of years like the worst defense for Oklahoma in years. That defense was ranked 18th in S and P. That defense was not very good at all. It was tell me that was the 18th best defense. No. Yeah. Do you so, do you actually remember it being that bad though? Because it wasn't. It wasn't it wasn't as consistently bad as this year's was. They got burned a couple times in a few games, but outside of outside of two or three games, they were good. Whereas in whereas the OU defense this year, even even in the games where everyone thought that they played particularly well, they actually were kind of just mediocre, even in the games where people thought they played well. Like I wanna like for instance, the the Texas Tech game from this year where people thought they played well. They were horrendous in that game. And they, they were just kind of looking at it through the glasses, through the tent of the 2017 defense. I, I'm, I, I mean, that, that 2012 defense gave up just basically the same amount of yards per game as this past year's defense and virtually the same amount of yards per play as this past year's defense. I mean, the 2012 defense allowed 5.7 yards per play. 2017 defense allowed 5.8 yards per play. Yeah, yeah, and I would guess I would guess the reason why the 2012 defense is high it's probably because on a uh, on an efficiency standpoint they were probably good, which leads me to believe that it probably was big plays for that 2012 defense again that killed them. Um, yeah, I, I mean you're right; it, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but when when you so that's when why it's kind of a weird. It's, it's sure. I'm but, not sure what the metrics trying to trying to measure with the S and P. It, it seems like it's all how, over the place. It's talking to me. about how good it. Sure, but at the same time, I, I don't really know if it's all over the place because I think 101st was a pretty accurate representation of OU's defense this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it certainly was. In, any they, they got shredded by anyone with a pulse, completely shredded. <laughs> yeah, uh. and that's that, I mean that's true. Think, except for Ohio State, which which I think we can look back on now and say that was obviously a fluke. What? Any team that had a pulse against them had success. Even yeah. I mean, even in that Big Twelve championship game, Lee TCU had had three or four straight drives in the first half where they moved the ball at will. So, I basically my point is being is that the last the last three or four years, 2015 notwithstanding, OU has not played OU caliber defense, and and they haven't. And and I think no, and, no. and I think I, I think there there's lots of reasons for that. But I, I, 
I think everyone can kind of, you know, get a hint of where I'm going with this. I, I'm, I, I, I think a lot of the blame, you know, resides at the top is what I'm trying to say. Well, it's, and, you know, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, Mike Stoops was fired from Arizona and Bob Stoops, I mean, the, he wanted to bring his brother back into the fold and get with Brent Venables again and kind of hope that he could recreate that same magic that they had in that, that first five years that they were all together at Oklahoma because the defense was starting to to slip a little bit, you know, from 20, 2010, 2011. And I'm sure Bob Soup's thought, hey, you know, bring my brother back on. He needs a job. And it went so well last time whenever he and, and Brent Venables and I were all kind of doing the defense together. Let's do it again. And then Brent Venables obviously thought, you know, I was reading some articles today just because I needed to kind of get a refresher on what happened. You know, and again, you know, maybe it maybe he he reported this just you know, who knows if, if he's telling the truth or not. I, I tend to believe him. I think I mean, I've heard nothing but great things about Brent Venables. I know he's one of the most light guys at OU ever. It sounds like he had some he, it was real tough for him to leave. I mean, he just he wasn't sure he loved he loved it Oklahoma. But then in the end, it really came down to, well, I've been in this one spot for so long. It's 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 good. It's always good to make a change, you know, in life. It's never good to be complacent. And he felt like things were getting complacent. So finally, he just made that change and went to Clemson and never looked back. So uh, I guess the, the point is, I'm not so sure if it was, uh, I guess, I, I guess when you were kind of describing it, it made it seem like they were kind of like they were almost trying to fire him in a way. Um, but I, you know, and, again, from what's been reported, I don't think that's really what the case is. I know I think there's some rumors of basically they were trying to fire Brent Venables. I'm not sure if that really was the case because it sounds like from what his his explanation of it that he, I mean, he it was tough for him to take that Clemson job because he liked it so much at Oklahoma. Um, but I get you know being somewhat demoted, like technically he was going to be with Mike Scoops coming back on, maybe that made it a little easier for him to say, you know what, I'll go to Clemson, I'll still be the guy, and I'll get a change of scenery. And obviously, it's it's worked out great for him uh, so far. So I think that's what Oklahoma was trying to do. Bob Soup was trying to recreate that magic they had the first five years that he came on back in '99 to 2003. And then Venables left, and it was up to Mike Stoops to to be here by himself, uh, along with Bob, obviously. And it just it just ha- hasn't gone uh, the way that Bob Stoops hoped it would have gone, and the way Mike Stoops hoped it would have gone up to this point, which is just uh, it's 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 unfortunate. You know, what? I I bought into it too. I was I was all in on the idea of recreating the magic of those you know the early two thousands. And you know what? I've grown up a little since then, and I and you know what? Recycling doesn't work, Lee. And, and, and I don't think you can recycle, you know, the feelings and all of the, the good times that happened in, you know, years previous either. So I think, I, I think that that's pretty naive what they did in retrospect. I, I want to I really hammer that home. It's in retrospect now. At the time, I was completely all in with it. But as of right now, I, I, think, I, I don't think you can look back on it in any other way and not think that it's, that it's been a failure up to this point. And Lee, I did want to I, I say something real quick. You mentioned the 2012 Oklahoma defense and the S&P metric and why maybe it's not making a lot of sense to you. OU's pass defense that year, Lee, was was very good. That's why. Um, it was they, they had Aaron Colvin and Tony Jefferson in, this, in, the, in the secondary, and they also had a lot of interceptions. So that's probably why. They took it away a lot, and they, were, they, they didn't allow a very high passing efficiency is, I would assume, why it was so high. Well, uh, last thing I'll 
I'll just throw out there just as a as, as a fact. Um, the past two seasons for Oklahoma defensively have have been disastrous. I mean, it's it's two of the worst years defensively ever. 2016 was worse than 2017 statistically. Both years, though, Oklahoma allowed the same amount of yards per play, 5.8. But in 2016, the Sooners allowed more than 430 yards per game, which is just an average. is, is crazy. The past two years for Oklahoma's defense, way worse than the final two years of the Brent Venables-led defenses by by far. And and so the question I have for you is, is again, I guess there's still a chance. You know, we never no, – nothing – I mean, hell, I mean – the coaching staff's not going to be set. I mean, I guess technically until heck fall camp kicks off in August. So, you know, changes can be made forever, but right now it looks like Mike Supes will be back. So it's the question is, I mean, so does Lincoln Riley just kind of feel like, well, Mike Stoops, he's going to figure things out in 2018 because that's the only thing to me. That's the only logical thought is like, well, I guess maybe Lincoln Riley is thinking, well, He's had some good years in the past as defensive coordinator, technically. So in 2018, let's give him another shot at it. Uh, because other than that, the past two years have been so bad. And Oklahoma's had this offense that's been so good. It's just it's, it, it's hard to, uh, to, to think, you know, why would you try to keep the same defensive coaches around, you know? So I, I think the only way you can honestly read this from, you know, Maybe we're different because we're so close to the program, and we, I don't know, we're we get emotional about this stuff, and we love it so much. But but I think, on a neutral basis, the I think from from a casual observer, if a casual observer watched the situation, I think the only possible way that you can you can you know you can explain why they're not making a change is is maybe they think that the issues on defense are talent based, and that and they know they have they had a top ten recruiting class coming in. And they have another one coming in this year, so maybe he thinks uh, an upgrade in talent uh, or an injection of talent will help everything. Me, I've seen a lot of a lot of examples to say or to to prove why that wouldn't be the case. Just an easy example would be the defense being pretty solid in 2015 and returning over half your starters, and it being demonstrably worse the next year. So you know, there's we'll see Lee but but that's the only thing that i can think of is that Lincoln Riley thinks that the main problem on defense the last 2 years has been uh, a talent level and that that certainly might be one of the big reasons but you're going to have to do a lot of work convincing me that they don't have one of the 25 most talented defenses in the country and i and i think you know it i think at at the very worst you should be able to feel the top 50 defense with with that level of talent even if it's not the same level as as the Clemsons and the Alabamas of the world right now. And there was uh, Ian Boyd over at uh, Football Study Hall. He works. He writes for SB Nation. He writes a lot of X's and O's stuff. Uh, but he wrote up something right after the national championship game last week where he did kind of a, a statistical dive into all of the playoff teams. And he said that with an average defense, uh, statistically looking at, at it with just an average S&P ranked defense, he said OU would have would have walked to the national championship statistically. And I and I, I think any of us looking at it objectively, I, I think it's it's hard to disagree with that, right? Oh yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean that's that's obvious because I mean we saw what Oklahoma did to that Georgia defense that obviously is very good because it it rendered Alabama's offense just useless for 30 minutes of football until 
they decided to, to throw a, a curveball and bring in a guy that Georgia obviously didn't game plan for. Like uh, I just, and, and I, two, so I just want to throw this out there, just of what if you gave OU, let's say, like a top ten level defense, just I mean they're and that Rose Bowley, I mean they're they're up by thirty points at halftime, maybe. I mean that's that's how that's how giving them an elite defense would do, especially pairing with that offense. I mean they're they they would have been up by it's it's hard to even say how much they would have been up by at that point in time if they had just a competent defense. And by that time, the game is probably is over. The, you can just sit on the ball. Well, Grant, we're actually going to go back and touch on the Rose Bowl later in the show because we're going to have some listener mail to talk about. But before we get to that, I think you have some news for us regarding Oklahoma's new strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, so one thing that I, that I did tease about 20 minutes ago, Lee, the University of Oklahoma has hired. I don't know if it's official yet, but it's unofficially official. He's on his Twitter profile. He's saying that he's the strength and conditioning coach at OU. That new SNC coach Lee is Benny Wiley. He is replacing Jerry Schmidt, who is off to Texas A&M. Lee OU did not match the offer made to Jerry Schmidt, uh, which you can read into that any way you want. But Benny Wiley, Lee, I've heard a lot of really good things about him. He is previously of the Dallas Cowboys. He coached at Texas Tech when Lincoln Riley was originally there. He's also had a stop at Tennessee and Texas. I've heard nothing but good things about Benny Wiley, Lee. And I know I don't have a ton of knowledge on him. This is the first I've really ever heard of him. But uh, any anecdotal things that I've seen online or by anyone who spent any time around this guy is that OU has made a really, really solid hire for their new strength and conditioning coach. That's good. And I haven't uh, had enough time to do much research on Wiley. So I will, uh, I'll take your, your word for it. Sounds like a positive hire. And to be quite honest with you, the strength and conditioning coach doesn't really get me going one way or the other. Um, I know Jerry Schmidt was a guy that a lot of the players seemed to to really have liked. Um, you know, I I know JD Runnels and and uh, I I've had a chance to interview or talk to him a couple you know a bit and uh, I follow him on Twitter and and he's been tweeting a lot about uh, Schmidt uh, Schmitty like everyone calls him and, and how much they like him. A lot of players like him and uh, but I, I also have you know I, I've heard some some negative things and maybe some players didn't like him. I don't know uh, so. Who who knows? I mean, he's been there ever since he had started. He came on in '99 when Stoops got there, so I mean, he has been there for a long time at Oklahoma. So he is a staple. And Lee, we touched on this before we came on air here, and I want to say it again for the people listening. But you and I are a fan of any sort of uh, new direction in the program right now for the guys who have been there for a really long time. We're 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 a fan of that. So I I don't think it's bad at all to get some new blood into the program. Um, it, it's, it's sure has worked with Lincoln Riley taking over for Bob Stoops recruiting has absolutely taken off. So I, 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 it's, it's never a bad thing. And I know, I know it's, it's hard for some Sooner fans to kind of let go from those, from those early glory years of Bob Stoops and, and kind of the continuity of that staff. But I think it, it, it's time to inject some new blood into the program and, and appreciate everything Jerry Schmidt's done for OU and, you know, he's Sooner for life and yada, 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 all that. But I, I'm excited to get to get someone new on there, even if it is a strength and conditioning coach. A really unique way of looking at this, Lee, is that Benny Wiley might be the guy that OU's players see the most of in their tenure at OU. So I think it's important 
to get a guy in there that the, the kids are going to like and, and a guy get a guy in there the kids are going to respect. You said that about Schmitty, about how a lot of guys talk about how they liked him. Well, I heard that, you know, there's about half the guys that don't necessarily like him a whole lot either. So um, I, I think maybe this will be a hire to, to, you know, geared maybe in the direction of, 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 of player development and maybe getting players on his side and, and at least uh, so everyone is all in together and there's maybe not some rifts in the locker room, anything like that. And yeah, I mean, it, who knows? I mean, just having a new voice in the weight room and, and all the conditioning drills you know, and just a, a new uh, conditioning plan and regimen, that's going to be kind of somewhat exciting to these guys. I mean, especially the the returning players that know what it's like to be there when Schmitty was there. Uh, they have one, one idea of what the strength and conditioning program is like in their mind. Now they're going to get a brand new one. And, you know, maybe some people like the original one. Maybe some people didn't like it. No matter what, it'll be new. So new is always kind of interesting. And so that that could help just to kind of mix things up. So hopefully it, it mixes things up in a positive manner with this new strength and conditioning coach. And also one more thing adding about Benny Wiley. I've seen I, I've read about him just a little bit in these last couple of days. And I've seen some some videos of him working. He seems like a really cool guy. So so hopefully that. Um, you know, that rubs off on the players. He's also really ripped, just total, <laughs> just, um, not like Jerry Schmidt ripped, like bodybuilder. Like he, like Benny Wiley looks like a, like he looks like a, an abnormally ripped, like NBA player. Like he's a, he's a toned and kind of skinnier ripped, but check him out whenever you get a chance, everybody. Oh yeah. I will, uh, <laughs> I'll do that. I will check him out. Nice. I want to read a comment. <laughs> nice. I want to read a comment on a listener email here in a moment. But first, I want to say thank you to all of you out there who have listened to the show and have made the show what it is now today. Thank you for listening on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Also, thank you for leaving a rating and or a review. If you have not done that up to this point, feel free to take a few minutes and leave us some feedback. Also, if you've got a question or a comment for us, email the show westofeverest at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Lee Benson News 9. Also, Grant is on Twitter at Grant Benson 25 at Grant Benson 25. Let's do a little listener mail now. Chris from San Antonio sent us an email last week just before we recorded the show. I didn't get a chance to read over the whole thing, so I didn't want to address it then. Now that more time has passed by, let's get to Chris's letter. Chris has a bunch of points he wanted to make about the Rose Bowl. He lists off each thought. So Grant and I will go one by one and comment on each thought. Chris says, quote, hey, guys, great podcast last week. It was a game we are all trying to make sense of and process. I fully enjoyed a lot of the detail and analysis on the final possessions. A few thoughts. One, I agree with Lee. Most of the blame goes on the offense. In regulation, excluding the squib kick and Baker Mayfield's interception, Oklahoma's D gave up 35 points but stopped Georgia on seven or eight possessions. Additionally, the defense scored a touchdown, so in effect gave up a net of 28 points in regulation. Any OU fan would have taken that in a heartbeat. The D gave the offense several chances to win the game, which is all we could have really hoped for with this year's defense. So that's Chris's first point, and you know how I feel about this, Chris. I agree with you, uh, and, and I think uh, you summed it up pretty well there, and I like how you gave us a number of the net points taken away, you, you know, taken away the uh, interception by Mayfield because that set up Georgia's offense, you know, on the doorstep there, and then the squib kick, 
you know, was three points there. So, he, I mean, that's 10 points right there taken away because of uh, kind of questionable. I mean, one, a turnover, and then obviously the questionable squ- uh, squib kick. So uh, I'm with you, Chris. I wonder what Grant thinks, though, now. Well, I think. I think it's it's plausible to look at this kind of like in the, ma- in the in the micro sense, and you're looking at it just this game and saying that based off of the blueprint that OU had had over the over the course of the entire season, the defense did what it needed to do to give the offense the chance to win the game. I understand that logic. I I, I really do. I, I get it. But it, but I I'm, I just keep coming back for or to the defensive performance in that game was completely not up to Oklahoma standards. And I'm sorry, whenever the offense scores uh, 48 points in a game in the Rose Bowl, I I think that should be enough to win. And I know that's a cliched, stereotypical answer that a lot of people say and give, but it rings true to me. And and I think any sort of game where the Sooners, I think Georgia was a top five defense this year, anytime you get 530 yards and, and 48 points against a top five defense, I think that should be good enough to win. You know, the the offense I the offense also did enough to win the game, I, I think too. And so it it really does come down to one one unit played well and the other didn't and, and that was obviously defense. And I, I understand that the second half wasn't a great half for, for OU's offense. And you know, you can you can nitpick all you want, but the end of the day OU's defense was bad in that game and on a and on a macro sense over the course of the entire season OU's D was bad so I I think it's it's in my eyes it's a lot easier to put blame on the defense because I think it's just a little more obvious have you gone back and watched it yet no I haven't I bet if you went back and watched it and watched the second half you would you would start changing your mind I bet I bet you would start and seeing how how poor and how how the offense just did not get things done when they needed to get things done uh, just, just, uh, just a theory of mine. Uh, here's a second point that Chris has to make in his email. He says on the third down and three play, that was an option pitch to Rodney Anderson. And uh, see, this came back in the. Let's see, I'm trying to remember. This was, was that, uh, was this under a minute to go? I think this was under a. Meh. No, this was on the. This was on the possession where they were up 45 to 38. I think. Uh, because remember the the third down play on uh, with under a minute to go yeah, was that yeah, was that wheel right. route to Rodney. Yep. So yep, I believe this right. was this was up forty five to thirty eight. Whereas they're they're at the point here where if they pick up a first down, then Georgia's really like starting to think, crap. Yep. If we give up another one, the game might be over. Yep, good memory. Yep, you're right. So on the third down and three play, that was an option pitch to Rodney Anderson. Chris says spacing was the culprit there. Anderson and Mayfield were too close together. If Anderson had gotten out wider, then that play would have been a really nice game. So I think it was a good call, but the execution stunk. I really think the similar play with Kyler Murray was supposed to be an option to pass, but it wasn't open. And that, that play, of course, came in overtime. Um, I Obviously, the spacing on that play, Chris, uh, was not was not good. And I actually went back recently and watched the coaches, the coaches film uh, option of the Rose Bowl whenever the the, the other coaches are, are watching the game and commenting on the game uh, I believe it was uh, Dana Holgerson uh, the West Virginia coach um, oh my gosh uh, Gary Patterson I was blanking on Gary Patterson's name all of a sudden Gary Patterson was in there uh, Brett Bielema uh, Major Applewhite Dino Babers and uh, Larry Fedora I mean it was a really good 
good mixture of coaches. And a couple of the guys on that play, on the Rodney Anderson play, were thinking that Baker Mayfield actually op, like switched the play to that. Like he checked at the line. That's what they they got out of that. They thought he checked at the line and maybe Anderson didn't get the call. And maybe that's why the spacing wasn't as good. And I was really hoping that when I watched that back that they would they would comment on the right guard and the right tackle because those two guys, I think it was Gosh, I, I can't remember who uh, the right guard and right tackle. Well, they, it would they, be Samia and Evans. Yeah, Samia and Evans. They just they didn't block their guys. That's what I saw on film, and it just made that play impossible to 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 be successful. So I don't know if spacing was the the main culprit in that. And, I, and even if the spacing was good on that play, Chris, I'm not sure if it still would have been a nice game because it was still basically when the the right guard when Samia and Evans didn't block their guys, it was. Mayfield and Rodney Anderson against two really good Georgia defensive players one-on-one and so yeah maybe Rodney Anderson if he would have gotten a pitch wouldn't been able to get the edge and break a tackle but I don't know because it was to the short side of the field and he wouldn't add a lot of room to 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 run there so I don't know I mean that's it's an interesting theory I just I'm just not sure spacing is is fully the reason why it didn't work out yeah like I said I I haven't gone back and watched it so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave I I just Okay. I'll I'll go back to what I said. I didn't I I didn't like them running to the outside of that defense at all. I thought they should have been running it straight up the middle pretty much every single time because like I said, I thought they were going to have a, a lot of success running the ball between the tackles, which they did. I I wish they would have stuck with that a little more. The third point that Chris makes and I man I wish I could comment better on this point, Chris, but I DVR the coaches film uh part of the game like I just mentioned I watched I didn't extend the recording long enough the game went too long and I didn't get to the second overtime which I was so furious as I was watching it back and I got to the end and I didn't even get to the second overtime but anyways Chris's point is in the second overtime when Mayfield throws a swing pass out to Rodney Anderson for little gain CeeDee Lamb is wide open down the field waving his arms and Chris says the reason why I brought up the coaches film thing is that Chris says that you can see this on the coaches film that ESPNU was airing, and Chris also adds that Mayfield just wasn't himself in that game. I, I, I trust you, Chris. I, I believe you. I just I wish I could see that for myself because that's a very interesting thing that I didn't know. And I mean, it's it's almost like Baker Mayfield was going to go right to Anderson on that play. It sounds like, but he maybe he should have he should have read the defense a little bit more if, if CD Lamb was wide open. And and again, our last or one of our either last podcast or probably the two podcasts to go after the game. I. I think we talked a lot about how CeeDee Lamb just grant you he just didn't get a whole lot of looks. Actually, I don't I don't think he got one target after he made that nice catch down the field in the fourth quarter. It would have been nice to see CeeDee Lamb get some more looks late in the game. Yeah, it would have been. And hopefully that's something we'll start seeing a little more next year. CeeDee Lamb is a guy that I think you just if if he's even in any sort of part of it, you just throw it to him. He he's one of those guys who I have confidence can can go up and make a catch even when he's completely covered. Um so I you know Maybe we'll start seeing a little bit more of that, and then, you know, with 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 what he's saying here, if that's right, if C.D. Lamb was wide open on on a you know on a play in the second overtime, I don't want to see that. That's just gonna that's gonna crush my soul. So, I'll <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm gonna, I'll take his word for it because I don't want to see that. Well, at least in the second overtime, if he was open, the touchdown, if he would have caught it and scored a touchdown, it wouldn't have been the end of the game because Oklahoma's point. defense still would have had to stop him, which they Oklahoma's most, defense they, wasn't going to stop. They him. almost certainly would not have stopped him. Stopped them. 
Right, right. Next point in Chris's email, he says, I saw a post on a message board from a guy who was very knowledge about, uh, knowledgeable about Oklahoma's offensive line play and their blocking schemes. He said Eric Wren and Bobby Evans blew several assignments in the second half and made uncharacteristic mistakes. It made Drew Samia look bad. So that's interesting. I mean, that, that might kind of go to, you know, my questions about the offensive line and those blo- and those option plays about, um, you know, what was going on there. I mean, if, if Eric Wren and Evans were blowing assignments, maybe that was one of the plays where Bobby Evans blew an assignment. Uh, but it certainly seemed like in that play, Drew Samia blew an assignment as well. Uh, but again, I'm not an offensive line expert. So uh, it's hard for me to, to really confidently comment on that stuff uh, because offensive line just is just not my forte. Yeah, I'm not able to to really mention that at all. I know uh, Bobby Evans really got smoked on a block in the first half that uh, I think it was on the it was on the drive where the Sooners had to settle for a field goal, their one field goal of the, of the, of the first half where he just got really smoked on an inside move and it ended up with Baker getting uh, getting sacked. Outside of that, that was really the one, especially in the first half, that was really the only you know, negative play that I really could remember from the offensive line. About the second half, it was. I find this interesting because everything that I've read and every analysis I've seen only talked about how, how brutal of a game Samia had. So I, I guess when I actually do go back and, and, and watch this, maybe I'll, I, I will look out for that to see, uh, to see exactly what happened there. Chris has ha- uh, Chris has two more points in his email, and, and again, Chris, thanks for emailing us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for interacting with the show, and also thank you for listening. His next point is: it really seemed like to me that Oklahoma got away from their bread and butter plays too much. Chris says Georgia never really did have an answer for Anderson and Oklahoma's bread and butter running plays. Even in overtime, Rodney Anderson got four or five yards on his two carries, and that's yeah. I mean, and, and you and I talked about that a couple shows ago grant and it's just what it to me whether what it came down to and this was my opening take after the rose bowl was you know lincoln riley should have just kind of gone with what got him there and trusted himself and he instead of trusting himself and trusting his offensive line and his play calls he kind of tried to outsmart georgia and uh it just it didn't work out in the end and and it seems like chris noticed that as well yeah uh, that's i mean when i was sitting there in the stands that's what it felt like too uh, at least, and you know, I could be totally wrong about this, but just based off of memory and, and from how I was watching it, it did seem like in the second half, it, it seemed like they they went away from that from the double pull counter that they love so much, and they kind of eschewed that for those little flare passes and swing passes to the outside, trying to get the edge on the Georgia defense when they were having a lot of success, just running right at Georgia's defense, right up the middle. So. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 hard to disagree with that. And the final point that Chris wanted to make in regards to the Rose Bowl, he says this is, this game is going to sting. Chris says this one will sting for a long, long time. My most disappointing loss was OU to Nebraska in 1978 when Billy Sims fumbled on the three-yard line. What made that loss hurt so much was Oklahoma was clearly the most talented team in the country. This loss does rank up there with LSU and Florida losses may even hurt a little more based on how the game went. So just kind of he wanted to kind of sum it all up. Um, so that makes me that that I'm glad he brought that up because now I, I to be honest, Grant, I haven't really thought about ranking that Rose Bowl loss as like you know, where it ranks as far as, you know, the worst losses for Oklahoma, because I, I honestly didn't really even want to give that much thought. And 
Huh. That seems um, that seems like kind of like a fun exercise. Let's do that real quick. See, we can do that. It's just I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna miss one, but I feel like to be to be on this list, it's it definitely has to be some sort of like national championship type stakes, right? Because if not, maybe then- I, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, f- for instance, Lee, let me. I number one for me of the toughest losses is still definitely OU Florida 2008 is by far is I, I don't I'm still it's nearly 10 years later I'm still not over that game uh, that game still bugs me um I'm trying to put up that that would rank ahead of this past Rose Bowl for me Lee uh 2008 Texas game would probably rank ahead of the Rose Bowl in terms of pain and misery um wow that's that's a surprising one to be ahead of this Rose Bowl yeah, I, this is this is definitely the biggest gut punch since since '08. I, I think. Um, have, having said that, I, it, it's different. I, I've 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 started to feel a lot better after the game because I'm. It, it makes it makes me feel better, just on just from a contextual sense, knowing that the defense was so bad. I, I don't I don't know if they really ever had a chance. The defense was so bad. Um. See, that's the thing. I mean. Your mind, you know, you feel like the defense was really at fault, and yeah, I, I you know I acknowledge the defense obviously was bad, but I I think this Rose Bowl is the worst one. I think it's the worst one because of how good the offense was. I mean, it's it's an all time offense. That offense, it's going to be difficult to see an offense that good in college football for a long time. And I know almost ten years ago we were saying the same thing about that 08 offense. Well, nearly ten years later this Oklahoma offense was better than that 2008 offense and and not just better but much better I mean much better than a 2008 offense and so the fact that Oklahoma was winning by as much and and you know in that that Florida game in 2008 Oklahoma's offense moved the football pretty well but couldn't finish drives and only put up 14 points whereas this team was able to actually go against that elite defense and put up a lot of points and the fact that it just whatever that that offense we needed the offense to score or not score but just to to pick up yards to win the game it couldn't do it to me that that's devastating because they had done it pretty much the entire game and then when it mattered the most it, they couldn't get it done so to me and and I'll throw in the fact that Baker Mayfield is is for my money the best quarterback the best player Oklahoma's had and Oklahoma's not going to win a national championship with him ever that hurts. I so I think this is number one on my list. I yeah, I, and I totally get. And I think right after the game, if you would have told me, I would have said that's number one. It's not even close. I I don't. That that was definitely the biggest gut punch I think I, I had ever experienced. But but as it simmered a little more, I'm just not as upset about it. Just because that defense was so bad, and I and, and I know we can look at it like they were there. They were up by 17. It was and I get it. But the defense was so bad that even even going into the national championship game. They would have, they would have been underdogs in that game too. I, they 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 really would have been, and it would have it would have taken a hell of an effort to even win that game too, just because the defense would have put them in that position. Um, and and if you like, I I know what you're saying. You saw Alabama and how how putrid they were on offense in the first half. If you think for a second they would have been that bad against OU's defense on offense, you got another thing coming to you. They would have ran it right down their throats, and they would have done it easily in the first half, just like Georgia did. So. You oh yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah, I mean, Alabama had a good offense this past year. Alabama's offense statistically was better than Georgia's offense. They were, they were like, they were like identical in turn, in like st- st- uh, statistically, but 
you know, right. I, so I mean, yeah, I mean, Alabama would have gotten theirs against against Oklahoma's defense. Uh, you know, the question was, you know, was was Alabama's defense better than Georgia's defense? The same yes, or worse? Alabama's is better than Georgia's, I think, by by like ever so ever so slightly. Um, just because I think Georgia's is, is is better at linebacker, I think Alabama's clearly better at uh, in in the secondary and on the defensive line. Georgia was quite a bit better at linebacker, I think. It Alabama, Georgia, and Oklahoma this year really they. It, Put them all in a hat, and you know, pick them out of a hat. I think, but uh, but, I, but 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 the, the big thing is that OU's defense was was ranked in the one hundreds, and I, you're, you're I, just, I think no, I I think I think Georgia's defense was was better than Alabama's defense. I mean Alabama, I mean Alabama really wasn't tested all year. Granted, Alabama got healthy towards the end of the season, so it was better. But with only a week to prepare, I think. Oklahoma would have would have had its way with Alabama. I mean, the reason why Georgia, I think, was able to to figure it out. I mean, I mean, Georgia had a month and still couldn't stop Oklahoma until after halftime. And uh, you know, only give Alabama a week and, and think about how Nick Saban struggled anyways against those kind of teams. I that'd have been tough. I mean, I I think they would have been able to move the ball just fine, especially considering Oklahoma would have had a lot more confidance after getting a W. I mean, even though they struggled in the second half against Georgia, coming out of there with a win. You know, they would have regrouped, figured out what they did wrong, you know, where they made mistakes when Georgia started stopping them, and they would have regrouped and, and played better against Alabama, I'd like to think. So uh, it was what it came down to, could Oklahoma get enough stops on defense? I mean, what, I mean, do we know? I, I don't know. Would if, if the Sooners would have played that game and Alabama would have played really well on defense, would it have shocked you? I mean, I... I yeah. It would have, yeah it would have. That would have shocked you? Yeah. I mean, they have... I mean, over half of their team is going to be drafted in the first, like, three rounds of the— I mean, this wasn't the same kind of—I mean, I guess based on, like, I know Georgia had a good offense, but Georgia's offense, I, I'm telling you, it, it's not its not anywhere near as good as Oklahoma's offense. And Georgia's offense was able to, to move the ball somewhat decently on Alabama's defense in that game. And they, and they weren't up by actually, two though. They, they averaged less than five yards per play in that game, Lee. They— Georgia really did nothing in the second half. Outside of the one long pass, they did nothing in the second half. Georgia didn't even. Georgia had like 320 yards of offense in that game, Lee. I mean, they uh. they moved the ball moderately fine, um, <laughs> and it, which is the, the both the offenses performed as a whole kind of how I expected them to in that game for the most part. Uh, just there there were some big plays here and there, but for the most part, it was just it was a slugfest. And yards were really hard to come by, and that's you know, and I hate it, but that's it's here at West of Everest. I, I think we we really need to do a service of of just exposing people to really just uncomfortable facts, ones that we don't like to hear. But the type of football that Georgia and Alabama were playing on a, a week or so—that's how you win a national championship now. And it's suck. It's ugly, and it's not really great football to watch. But that's that's the formula. You, you you gotta have the dudes on defense, and you just I I think I I think the obviously the Sooners are good enough on offense to win a national title. They have the formula there. They they they're gonna have to start getting some big time NFL guys on defense. I, I think we you can't go into every single season expecting to have the best offense in the history of of college football, and and they couldn't even win it this year with that. So I I, I think it's fairly obvious at this point. I, I don't. I don't think it's it's controversial to say that if OU is going to win another national title, they got to have a top ten unit uh, on both units. They got to have a top ten unit on offense and defense. Well, the frustrating thing is that 
I disagree. They don't need to have a top 10 unit on both sides. A top 10 defense is a lot more important than having a top 10 offense, I think, is, is the takeaway, which is super annoying because Oklahoma, the last two years specifically, has been so far and above everybody else offensively, but it hasn't mattered because the defense, they can't figure it out on the defensive side. Whereas, like, look at the Clemsons and the Alabamas. Yeah, I mean, these teams, these teams defensively defensively are really good but these aren't like all-time defenses these aren't defenses that are like oh my god these are the best defenses ever and yet these are the teams that that will win it so it's like Oklahoma's had these all-time type offenses but that's not the formula because they don't have the defense to back it up and and uh, even though I'm, I'm all for you know trying to get get past the whole defenses win championships uh you know uh, having having a competent defense wins championships almost is, is the new saying it seems like maybe but I, I it's hard for me not to continue to think about this Lee and I, and I just you know what if you, you take take Brent Venables' last defense at OU in 2011 S&P I know you don't love S&P I do but that it was it was 10th in S&P if you I mean you take that defense and and you put that exact defense on you know, the last three OU teams, you're looking at probably three straight teams that played in the national championship game and maybe looking at, you know, winning two of the last three national championships. So I'm, it's just, just get a top 10 defense. And I, at at OU, it it shouldn't be that much of a tall task. And I don't, I, I I don't think that's a, that's a controversial statement at all. Yeah, it it definitely is attainable. Because I agree. Because I mean, last year's offense was historically good as well. We, I mean, we we've completely just. It's almost like we've forgotten how good last year's offense was too, because it was, it was outstandingly good. Last year's offense was was close was close to 2008's offense. So and Mm -hmm. and this year's offense took took a full step. I think last year's offense actually was technically better than 2008 as well. I have to look back look at the numbers, but yards I, I per think play, it, I think yards per play was actually above 2008s as well, or is either above or just slightly below. I can't remember, but it was, it's yeah, it's they were. I should know that. I know I've looked this up before. Uh, I want to say the 2008 offense averaged like, oh man, it, the number was a lot smaller than I thought it was as far as yards per play. Um, I don't want to say a number because it could be wrong. So I'll look, look back, look that back up. I again. mean, it but was yeah. an it was an astronomical number, but but relative to you know to this season, it was it was quite a bit lower, right? Yeah, right, right. So I, I don't know. It's a uh, um, just I, I I think going forward, the best you know you gotta one keep recruiting like you like you have been recruiting. You're going to have back-to-back top 10 classes. 2019, like I've already said, has the opportunity to maybe challenge for the number one class in all of the country. And other than that, I, I, I do think it, it's, 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 it's very important. I think you got to get some new voices in there, and they got to get some new schemes in there. And I think that's, that's very important moving forward. We'll, we'll see what happens, but um, we'll, uh, you know, we'll be with you every step of the way. Yeah, that's gonna be our our uh, our challenge to um, figure out how we're gonna do these January February shows. And I guess uh, let's see, hold on. I'm looking back. So 2016 yards per play. Just so just so we get this out there. Okay, so Oklahoma averaged seven and a half yards per play in 2016, which is which is fantastic. It's fantastic. 2008 that offense 
yards per play. Not even seven. 6.9. Isn't that crazy? Some would argue, though, that, I mean, I don't know. That's that's a different era. I, I don't know. It's... That's that's so surprising to me because that offense was so good. I I know I know I can't believe that either. I mean, you know what? That's a good point though. I mean, it's different era. I mean, okay, 2016 number one was Western Kentucky. I mean, whatever they played, they play. They're not a not a power five school. They averaged seven point six yards per play. One, two, three, four, five, six teams in FBS averaged more than seven yards per play in 2016. Back to 2008, Tulsa only team. Well, four teams averaged more than seven yards per play. Tulsa averaged seven point two at number one. Houston, Florida. How about that? The team. I mean, Florida actually averaged more yards per play than Oklahoma that year. So, t- I mean, on a yards per play basis, that Florida offense is actually better than a two thousand eight Oklahoma offense. That's unbelievable. Of course, Oklahoma had to go up against that team in that game. Of all the years that Oklahoma had that kind of team, you know, they no, they didn't get to play that two loss LSU team from like two thousand seven. Uh, you know, or you know, or heck, even like that. That Alabama team from 09 that that would have lost if, if Colt McCoy wouldn't have gotten injured. No, nope, they had to play this this awesome Florida team with all these future NFL guys. <laughs> did yeah, it's it sucked. And I did I I know you're really skeptical of S and P, but Bill Connolly, the guy, he's the the Godfather of S and P. He talks about that 2008 OU team a lot. They went wire to wire as number one as the number one S and P team. He wrote an entire chapter about that team in his in his book that just came out over a year ago. So just so you know, S and P loved that 2008 OU team. Lee also loved the Florida team too. I think both of I think both of those teams are are two of the top 50 S and P plus teams of all time. So, all right. Before we get going, Grant, do you uh, want to comment at all? Talk a little OU basketball. We can we can comment. I I'm I'm still kind of in a weird, just surreal place. The their their success this year is just is completely unexpected. I mean, they're in the top four in the polls now. I did not. They're number four in the country. I, in my wildest dreams, I did not think that that would happen this season. I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm just blown away by how good Trey Young is. I, I can't believe how good he is at at the game of basketball. And there really is no, there's really nothing else to say other than, you know, I think this team when 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 they're shooting well, I think they're. And God, it sounds like hyperbolic and almost insane to even talk about it now, especially after how last season went. But when they're shooting the ball well, they're they are a legitimate national champion championship threat. I, I don't think there's really any other way to put it. Do you disagree? No, I don't disagree. No other team in college basketball scores as many points as Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma's averaging ninety three points per game, and uh, Duke is number two at ninety two points per game. But uh, you know it. So Oklahoma can score. Obviously, you know the defense is questionable, but it's it's difficult in the Big Twelve. You're going to give up a lot of points because the Big Twelve is absolutely stacked. You got Trey Young, who's leading the nation in scoring, and he's leading the nation in assists still, which is just an absurd number. And uh, so I'll put it this way: I you know I of course I was excited about Trey Young coming to Oklahoma. You know, five star guy. You know, that's big for Oklahoma basketball. Hometown kid, really nice player, uh, really nice player, really nice kid. Um, just really down to earth, and it, it's one of those things where he's done so much media in his life because he's always been really good at basketball, so he's always been in the spotlight. That the media thing for him is very easy. He's very accessible. He he will always do interviews. It's it's like you, if you get some sort of it's it's not hard or difficult to get t- 
time with him uh, because he's up for it. And, and to be fair, it's it's simple to get time with anybody from Oklahoma basketball because Long Kruger's program is so wide open. It's it's unbelievable how how easy it is to access OU basketball, which is incredibly smart because obviously this is a football school and Long Kruger knows that any sort of basketball publicity is good publicity. And in seasons like this, it's even better. So uh, Trey Young, you know, of course, leading the nation and scoring at uh let's see what is he uh, is, is like, he over 30 a game now no it's like 29.2 a game or something like that but he did, i guess he did just score over 40 didn't he so he might be over 30 a game now yeah I'm, so yep yeah he's I, over 30 now so he's over 30 points a game now 30.1 and I, he's a f- true freshman which is incredible and he's I, I mean i think he's he's obviously the best player in the country i Early on in the season, I thought the Steph, Car- Steph Curry comparisons, I wanted to kind of say, all right, everybody, pump the brakes. But And then the more I watch him, I start to think, wow, they're actually not even that crazy. So, um, And like I, he's better now than Steph Curry was at this time in Steph oh, Curry's career. Because you haven't heard about Steph Curry yet at this absolutely. point in his career. And so I, I do just want to add one more thing. If we're looking at, um, you know, of course, OU went to the Final Four two years ago with Buddy Heald. Lee, this is a more talented team than that Final Four team. I think that's pretty obvious to say. It's a deeper team, too. Um, just If you just go line by line, I mean, who was the, the second most talented player on that team was probably Isaiah Cousins. I think he's playing in the G League right now. And whereas, I, I mean, I think there's there, there's a handful of guys on this team I think are more talented than Isaiah Cousins. I this is a team that's young, and I know it's it's Trey Young is is a freshman who's leading them. But this is a team that is talented, is athletic. They can throw a lot of bodies at you. They're going about ten or eleven deep right now. Christian Doolittle coming back and playing heavy minutes has been really important. And you know what, Lee? They got seven or eight guys who can knock down a three, and that is huge. So I, it could mean. It could mean a lot of things. I mean, hell, they could they could lose in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament if they have a cold shooting night. But if, if I mean, if they they get hot for two weeks, sky's the limit. And I think it's I'm just gonna have fun watching it because it's I think this is something that's just been totally unexpected for everyone this year. Yeah, you mentioned they're in the top four. They're number four now in the AP poll. They move up five spots after uh, went over Texas Tech last week and it went over TCU. And uh, you know, Trey Young just had an incredible game against TCU. And that overtime win, and uh, you know Villanova's number one, Virginia's number two, Purdue is number three, and I, I get it; it doesn't matter. It's it's early; it's mid January. The rankings don't matter, but I think Oklahoma. I mean, I take Oklahoma. I, you know, put it this way: I, if if those if Oklahoma played either one of those teams on a neutral court right now, I guarantee you Oklahoma would be favored over all those teams. I bet. Well, I don't know. I guess maybe I don't know much about no, basketball, but I, I think I think those are probably the three teams that may would that maybe be favored over OU. Villanova would for sure, I think. Based on what, though? I mean, they, nobody. I, I look at Oklahoma's schedule. Nobody's played a tougher schedule than Oklahoma. Yeah, this I mean, year. you're right. I, I guess. I guess that's me. Just, just con- continuing to think. I mean, this is I mean, an old, Villanova's and, played two ranked teams this season. Oklahoma's played like seven. Yeah, and so, but that doesn't always that doesn't always mean anything. I mean, how many ranked teams did Gonzaga play last year, and they were in the national championship game? So, doesn't necessarily matter, but. You know, it, it doesn't it's, matter, but I mean, it's based. On, I mean, it's what we have. It's 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 hard numbers that we can actually use to measure teams at this point. And I know that in basketball, like RPI is used a lot, and the Ken Palm rankings are used a lot. Uh, and I'm just based off of you know where teams are ranked. But I mean, right now, Oklahoma's played one, two, three, four, five, six teams that are, that are ranked in the top 25, and four of those teams were in the top 10 at the time. And what's even crazier is that Oklahoma 
has you know Oklahoma's won all but one of those games uh, that was at West Virginia but I mean they have one you know two of those wins came on the road so I mean they're it's not like they can't go on the road and win they have too, a, but yeah they have a really nice resume for sure but they still haven't gone up and beaten a Kansas or gone to West Virginia and beaten West Virginia they haven't beaten an elite team yet I know a lot of the RPI and a lot of metrics say Texas Tech is an elite team. Not buying that at all quite yet. Uh, you know, we'll see. I, I've, I've, I've seen TCU play twice. I know they're 1-4 and four in the Big 12, and I know TCU is a bona fide top 15 team. So I, Man, I, they're, they're snake they're, bit, man. TCU's good. really good. They got yeah, some scores. They do, yeah, so I'm... Uh, they just they can't finish. They have like some sort of mental blockage where they just they can't. I don't know if it's maybe they just don't have that extra talent to beat those certain teams. But I mean, they they do have a lot of good players on their team. And it's crazy because last year they were kind of like the darlings of the Big 12 tournament. And it's actually not as crazy now a year later because they're coming out and they're ranked and they're playing pretty well. I mean, yeah, I know that they're Big 12 so far. You know, they had, good, they've, but, they've probably yeah. had the toughest schedule of any Big 12 team, you know, to start out. In, in conference play I and you know no no game is an easy game in the Big 12 this year I think I mean the, the worst team in the conference is probably Iowa State and after that I mean who knows so it's the Big 12 it's just it's you know the beat goes on just a completely brutal conference insane insanely brutal I said this uh to one of my coworkers the other day it's like the Big 12 conference right now in basketball is basically what the SEC wants to be or what people think the SEC is supposed to be in football but it's actually true for Big 12 and basketball like the Big 12 for for real like one through 10 legitimately there's not an easy game whereas the SEC let's be honest they had three they had two elite teams one team that was like a a a maybe top 10 team if we're going to be honest in Auburn and after that it was a whole lot of eh this past year in football Whereas in the Big 12 and basketball, it's legitimately one through 10, really darn good. And about the top five teams are potential top 10 teams in college basketball. I think maybe the only the only knock on the Big 12 is they they maybe don't have that bona fide national title contender. But I mean, OU's in the top four. You could say they are. Uh, it's Kansas is always a national title contender. They went on the road on on Monday night and beat West Virginia. So we'll we'll see. I, I think I think, you know, as always, it'll probably come down to Kansas. But uh, it'd be really cool if OU can go on a little run here and maybe put some space between them and the Jayhawks, maybe in that uh, that like fifty-seven year streak that Kansas has, or wherever, however the hell long it is, I don't even know anymore. Well, Oklahoma tonight. Uh, we're recording this Tuesday night, so uh, by the time you hear this podcast, Oklahoma will, will have already played at K State. Hopefully, they go into Manhattan and take care of business against Kansas State. I'm expecting Under them 18. to lose. I'm expecting them to lose. It's just I. Kansas State is 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 a good team. They're uh, they're in the mid forties in Ken Palm, I believe. They've they've had some good good wins already this year. OU hasn't won at Kansas State since two thousand and twelve. Going on the road in college basketball, I'm expecting them to lose. I, I I we'll see. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm expecting them to lose. Thing is, I, you know, I don't have a whole lot of expectations with this Oklahoma team. I kind of just take it one game at a time, which is like the most cliche thing ever. But at the same time, I. I don't really expect them to lose any games they're not supposed to lose, and that includes the game against Kansas State. I mean, the only games I guess I would anticipate Oklahoma losing are the games against like a West Virginia, which they they you know they lost because it's just this team has so many ways to beat you, and Trey Young is just so much better than everybody else. And like in basketball, when you have the best player, I, I mean, 
you're going to win a lot of the games. And here's something that's a tad underrated about them. They're not they're not great defensively. They're not bad either. They're they're just they're adequate defensively. But but one thing that's been a little underrated about them this year defensively is that they protect the rim really well. Uh, McNeese and Latin have blocked a whole hell of a lot of shots this year. Yeah, and so that I, I think that could be a weapon come March as well. Uh, McNeese and Latin still I do they do struggle a little bit one on one guarding guys, but when it comes to protecting the rim, they're both just dynamite. So we'll uh, we'll see it. And I mean, if, if if this if this team can get better defensively, the season goes on, and a lot of young guys, so that might continue to happen. And I think Trey Young has gotten better and better defensively every game as well with his hands and um, just being kind of a nuisance on the defensive side. So I, they're they're a fun team to watch. I mean, I think by far they're the funnest team in college basketball to watch, and and that's never a bad thing. Certainly makes it easier to move on from that uh, that dreadful Rose Bowl game. That's our show. We'll, we'll be back next week with the news of the day. Plus, we'll look back at one other early season football prediction that I forgot to mention last week and that I also forgot to mention this week. This one actually might be the best prediction I've ever made on the show and maybe the best prediction between Grant and I ever made on the show. We'll look back on that and more next week. Until then, for Grant, I'm Lee. This is West of Everest.